Psalm 1, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. Sometimes we preach one verse, sometimes we preach two verses, sometimes we now preach two chapters as well. What to do with this? There we go. Psalm 1, Psalm 2. Go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we, we, we just want you. We, we enjoy the fellowship and everything like that, but God, we come to encounter you. We come to eat of your sustaining word. And that can't happen by me talking or anybody else singing, but God, that happens only through the movement of your spirit. Making your word come alive in our hearts, God. Showing us our sin. Showing us your holiness. And the beauty of your Son, God. This is an exercise in futility. If you do not show up and make yourself known, God. So we humbly come before you, God. With the hearts that are empty and broken and minds that are in chaos. We just ask that you would be with us, that you would quiet our hearts, that you would bring us peace. And let us behold the beauty, the beauty of your Son. Amen. Again, our text this morning is Psalm 1 and 2. It begins with this. Blessed is a man who walks... Not in the counsel of the, of the wicked, nor in the way of sinners, nor in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, whose yield comes in season, whose leaves do not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. But the wicked, they are not so. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth, they they set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against His anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords away from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord, He holds them in derision and He will speak to them in His wrath and testify and terrify them in His fury, saying, as for me, I have set my King in Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said unto me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son. Lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. And blessed are all who take refuge in Him. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As you guys know, we're beginning a a little um, sermon series on the, the Psalms. We're going to have a summer of Psalms. 
and is a delightful book. Now, the, the book itself is actually broken up into five different books. And so in the Jewish people, they, they have a book broken up into five different books. Of course, I would contend they're thinking of, of, the, of the, the Torah. And you have this flow of human life, of coming out of the garden and being idyllic, and God bringing His people through sin and through a wandering and showing them how they can come into the presence of God. And then finally bringing them into the promised land. That's what you have in the book of Psalms. So you have chapter 1 and 2 here is kind of our gateway to the rest of the book. Chapter 1 and 2 they might have been composed differently, but they were always um, held together. When they would sing one, they would sing them both. And so we have two different chapters, but they were originally, when they were brought together in, in the Word of God, probably with Ezra, they were combined into being one. And this hymn book has been the, the hymn book of God's people for, for centuries. So Jesus Christ, during the Last Supper, when, when the authors of the Gospels, they say that they, were, um, they had sung their hymns together. Well, that's obviously it's out of the Psalms. It's the Hallel, starting in chapter 118. They begin singing the Psalms together as the people of God. And it was so ingrained in them that it kind of shapes who they are. So the way that a child of the 60s has rock and roll ingrained in them, then it shapes who they are. Or African-American culture will have hip-hop, and then it's ingrained in them, and it shapes who they are. Or bluegrass in the Appalachian Mountains, it shapes who they are. The same way with the Psalms. It was not just something they read on their, their reading calendar throughout the year, but no, it was ingrained in them and it was, gave a, a, an identity to them as the people of God. It wasn't just a hymn book. No, this is, it's who they were. So as they were, as they would go and ascend up to Jerusalem, why do they sing? Oh, they begin singing psalms of ascent, going up to, to Jerusalem to encounter God, the living God in the temple. The people of God would sing them together. And it's probably one of the most beloved books. So if you have Bibles from the time of persecution or depression, you look at the binding, it's the Gospels that are darkened with the oils of your fingers in the Psalms. Get a book, get a Bible that's 150 years old that's gone through depression. The Psalms are very well worn out, as well as the Gospels. And it's just accessible to the people of God. And you find it, that it it, it has our emotions in it. So if you want to celebrate, if you're joyful, well, then you go to the Psalms and you celebrate it. If you're having sorrow, if your soul is wrecked, then you go to the Psalms and you find this balm for your soul. And they're a great medication to us, but in a, in a different way than you might think. Phil made a great point this week when we were talking about the, the Psalms here. He said, when we look at the Psalms and we're going, it's not as though we're in this point looking back, but rather, no. What we do is we go back and look forward. And we look through the Psalms and we see Christ there. 
So if it's true that, as Paul writes in Ephesians 1, that everything in heaven and earth is being unified and finding its fulfillment in Christ, well, then that must be also be true of the Psalms as well. So let me just ask you conversely the other way. If the Psalms are not pointing to Christ and finding their fulfillment in Christ, where are they finding their fulfillment? In you? That's what we tend to think sometimes when we take our own self-idolatry, I guess, exalting of ourselves, and actually place that upon the text. And so when we read the Psalms, we go, oh yes, that's me, that's me. No, no, no. Come back and look forward and see Christ. That no, this, these are pointing to Christ. This is why they're the fabric of the people of God is because they, they orient their whole lives to behold the beauty in Christ, whatever situation you're in. If you're rejoicing, if you're in sorrow, you come to Christ through the Psalms. And that is their beauty in it. So in our sorrow, we have the sorrow in these Psalms that runs right up to the sorrow of Christ on the cross. And when we are rejoicing, we rejoice with a joy that can only come from Christ and through Christ into the Psalms. Is that, I hope that shapes and changes the way we'll, you'll approach this over these next couple of weeks. I'm, I'm beginning to see, and Lauren Adam and I talk in the office about this, I'm beginning to see that it, our interpretation of Scripture is the interpretation of our lives. What's going on? And I'm finding more and more, the less I think of Christ in my own life, the more He becomes hidden in His Word. But the more I see that Christ is the fount of all things in the Word of God, I see it shaping how I interpret my own life. What is happening in my own life? What is this sorrow? What is this joy? What is this long-suffering? This bitterness, maybe, even that's rising up in my heart. We all check it and we all look at it in light of Christ. So when we interpret the scripture, we also must interpret our own lives and our emotions and see how they are flowing from Christ or pointing to Christ or how they are disparagingly different than Christ. And so, when we have here the Psalms as well, it's, it's this, they're songs. Like Brandon would say, they're, they're songs to be sung and they're, they're refined. So you go and you read through, you, you read through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and it's Deuteronomy, and it's like this, boom, you know, a, a, a 50 pounds of wheat just placed on you. Okay. I'll work through this. But in the Psalms, it's like they've taken it. They've meditated on it over centuries and centuries. And they've thought about it. And they've, they've pondered it. And they've seen how God has redeemed His people. And they've taken that and have distilled it all down. And now you don't have just this like 50 pounds of wheat. No, you have this beautiful bread that's already there, ready to be consumed in it. And in doing so, we're able to find... A voice for our emotions, for our sorrow, for our suffering, whatever it might be. We're able to find a voice for our emotions that we might not otherwise even be able to express. 
And this is the beauty of the Psalms. Because as Christians, we like to think that we have joy, 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 joy down in our hearts, down in our hearts, down in our hearts. That's just not the case all the time. We see people of God being murdered around. How do we react? We see rioting in cities around us. How do we react? As Christians, we must realize that it's not always joyful. And if we pretend that it is, it reveals the shallowness of our faith. But these Psalms are inviting us in to see the whole Christian life and to find a proper placement for all that's going on in the world and all that's going on in our hearts, even the raging within our own hearts, and placing that and finding a place for that in the Word of God. So what about our, our, um, our text here? Uh, the main, main point we're going to be going at to is that I, I hope you do take refuge in Christ. Take refuge in Christ. We're going to be, it's, it's a blessed, blessed are those, blessed are all who take refuge in Him, referring to Christ. It's right at the end, but it's this, kind of this capstone of, of what we're to be doing, and I, I hope we can take that away from this week. So we're going to be looking at Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. Psalm 1, a blessed man. Psalm 2, the raging men. Blessed man, the raging men, and how we can find and seek refuge in Christ. So let's go back to the text here. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks in the counsel of the wicked, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted besides streams of water and its yield and it yields its fruit in season and its, and its leaf it does not wither and all that he does it prospers but the wicked they are not so they're like chaff that the wind drives away therefore the wicked will not stand the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous for the lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish and what we have here before laid before us here in Psalm 1, is the ideal man. The man who is blessed. And it's a little bit different than we would uh, typically think of blessed. When we think of blessed, we think of someone who is blessed almost passively. Like, wow, he, you know, he got a job that he really did not deserve. Yeah, he's pretty blessed. Or, wow, he really married up. Good for him. She has no business. I don't know who didn't tell her that. But, wow, he is blessed to be with his bride. Or you go, oh, actually, their grandparents were incredibly frugal and saved up a bunch of money and nobody knew it. Oh, he is blessed. Because it's, it's something passive that we don't deserve. And they receive it. But, but this word, um, in the Hebrew, it's asher, it's, it would be the, the, the Hebrew equivalent of, of Jesus' Greek and Aramaic that from the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about the one who's blessed. And so it's not so much a blessed, uh, which in Hebrew, barak, which you mean like to bow down to and to like receive a blessing from God. Pay homage to God and receive a blessing. No, it's not that. It's talking about one who is 
happy and has a wholeness to their life. That is what is referred to here in this, in this blessing. And it's as if the psalmist, he knows our hearts, right? So what does he do? He starts with the sin right away. He knows our inclination towards it. So he says, the blessed man, okay, okay, I know the inclination of your heart. So the blessed man is not one who walks in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners or sits at the seat of scoffers. And you see how the, the sin in our life, how it will encompass everything. Our walking, our standing, our sinning. and we, It's so casual, right? It's just in, part of who we are and what we do. So often. We think of sin as, as something that, that's so distant. That's so over there. You can go do it and then he can come back and lead your righteous life. But no, the psalmist knows it's ingrained in you. It's as if you inherited it from your mom and dad and it's a characteristic of who you are, like the way you look. And it's just there. In every little thing. In your walking, in your standing, in your sinning. There is sin. And the psalmist knows that, and he puts that first. But the blessed man, no, he's not like that. He's not like that at all. In fact, his delight is not in these things. His delight is not with the wicked or the sinners or the scoffers, but rather his delight is on the law of the Lord. And so greatly is his delight on the law of the Lord that he meditates on it. He murmurs it to himself. He contemplates it day and night. So it's not just the sin that encompasses you by walking, standing, or sinning. But no, the blessed man, he has meditations on the, on the law of God that encompasses everything. Day and night. His, bl- his blessing is not in what he has or what he does, but his blessing is in his proximity to the Lord and his relation to him. So let me give you this illustration. The blessed man, he's like a tree. He's like a tree, not on in the desert, not some brambling bush. No, like he's like a tree planted, intentionally placed there, planted by streams of water. He's not sustained by himself. He's sustained by someone else. This should bring your hearts and your minds right to the Garden of Eden. Do you see the parallels here? That the psalmist is playing out. You have this water that's flowing out from God. The grace of God and the love of God and this... this this yields its fruit in season, coming forth, this spiritual fruit coming forth by the Spirit of Christ, coming out. Well, who is it then? Who is this blessed man? Is it you? Dennis? No, we look and we look to Christ. You don't have to look any further. It is Jesus, and it was Christ that was leading the blessed life. And we think it's us, but no, it was us who was calling out amongst the scoffers. We are walking among them as he's being crucified. That is us. 
It was us while he was teaching about the kingdomly heaven, the heavenly kingdom. It's us that were walking with the sinners. It was us that was delighting in wickedness. But he is the blessed one. And because he is the blessed one, it is through him. It's not in and of ourselves, but it is through him that we are blessed. So through him, he is the one planted by streams of water. But it's through him that we, that you guys, that me, that we are able to come back to Eden, this, this idyllic place, this beautiful place where God and man will dwell together. We can have that through Christ because he is the blessed one. We can have these blessings. And in doing so, we have the ultimate blessing of Christ and God himself coming back to the garden we are able to delight in Him and commune with Him. So even if you're not a Christian, this is what you're seeking. Maybe you don't believe in Adam. Maybe you don't believe in the Garden of Eden. That's fine. But this is what you are seeking. Happiness, fulfillment, an enduring purpose. Why do, why do you think we have buildings all over this town named after people who've given tons and tons of money? They're seeking an enduring purpose in this world. But you go ahead and look at the world around you and your own life, and you will not find it. You get the promotion? Great. You finally got it. Oh, the economy, the dollar drops by a third and you have corporate downsizing and your division just got cut. Good job. Fulfillment? No, it's not there. Longing to get married, you finally get married. Longing to have children, you finally have children. It's not there. It's not there. It's, it's all fleeting. You must admit that. Even if you're not Christian, you must admit that it's not fleeting. And you can continue seeking fulfillment in this world, and that's fine. But this world will disappoint you, and it's made to disappoint you. So that we who are temporal will seek fulfillment ultimately in the one who is eternal. So don't be bitter at the world when it doesn't give you what it cannot give you. Don't be bitter, but use this to turn to Christ to see, oh, I can be blessed through Him. I can find fulfillment in Him. I can have purpose. I can have enduring relationship with God. I can be affirmed by God through Christ. Outside of that, we're, we're just like chaff. The wind's going to blow it away. We think we're of prominence. We think we're blessed. Well, we, no. You can hardly name more than five presidents. Right? They're blessed. They're men of prominence. No, they're forgotten. Tell me three Roman senators. Come on. You can't. There's no purpose. There's no enduring satisfaction in this world apart from the Son of God who came into our world to redeem us. And you're wired in such a way that you long for it and you, you grasp at it and you seek after it and you push everything else aside so you can have it. 
but you will only have it in Christ and in Christ alone. So that in Him, we are no longer the ones who are walking and standing and sitting with the wicked, the sinners and the scoffers. But know that it is through Christ that we are able to come back to the garden. And it's through Christ that we can delight in the law of the world, that we can meditate on it day and night. It's through Christ that we can again dwell with God, and be known by Him, and be affirmed by Him. You're seeking the approval of others. And that's fine. But it's wired into you that you're trying to ultimately seek the approval of someone you know that you're supposed to. Children will seek it in their parents. You'll seek it in your employee, your boss, whatever it might be. You know that you're supposed to find approval for someone. So maybe you have social media, whatever it might be. But you're wired to have approval from someone. And there's only one that can love you in such a way that will not disappoint you. There's only one who can approve of you in a way that he actually loves his own son. And that is through Christ and delighting in him. So we we have all of this in Christ, right? We're able to, to turn away from walking and standing and sitting with the wicked, the sinners, and the scoffers. We're able to ourselves be like trees planted by streams of waters. The world must be delighted in this, right? Well, enter in Psalm 2. Let's go back to the text. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth, they set themselves, or the rulers uh, uh, um, take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds from us and cast their cords away from us. He who is in, sits in heaven, he, he laughs. He's, he's not threatened. The Lord holds them in derision and He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His anger, saying, As for me, I have set my King on Zion, my holy hill. I tell of the decree the Lord said unto me, You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule over them. Or you will break them with a rod of iron and dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son. Kiss the Son. Lest He be angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath is quickly kindled. Oh, my friends, blessed are all. Blessed are all. You will not be disappointed. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. This beautiful psalm here, Psalm 2, it reads like, like a history of the world. Right? You have the rebellion of men. You have the coming appointed Son who will come and He will conquer and establish His new kingdom. And He will rule it. And you will have blessed, eternal blessedness for those who take refuge in this appointed Son who is to come and to rule on behalf of His Father. So you have here in the beginning the nations raging and the peoples plotting in vain. And it's everybody. Don't be surprised when we see this around. It's everybody from the kings and the rulers. And they're, 
the raging infutility against the Lord and against His anointed. And this raging that is, is against God, they're, they're not out in the desert shaking their fists. No, they're, they're raging against God as carried out amongst other men and other women. Read the history of the world. It's filled with this raging against God, wanting to have the authority that God and His Son can only have and seeking to obtain it in this world. So, one will oppress the other in order to be like God, but then the oppressed will somehow find their way and then they will become the oppressor. And it goes on and on and on throughout history. And in the throes of this rebellion, there's nothing too wicked, or too vile for our hearts to conceive, nor too vain for our minds to imagine. And it's, it's easy to see this raging in others, right? We see the toppling of nations, we see now the toppling of statues, whatever it might be. And it seems so distant in others, but we should not be left to wonder when we see the raging of others, what we find in our own hearts. It's as if the, it's like a, like a projector behind our hearts displaying in the world the rebellion that is deep down within us. So don't be surprised. Don't say, how foolish are they? How foolish they could be. No, no, no. That's us. That's in our own hearts and in our own rebellion. So why do they rage? And look at, look at verse 3. We were wrestling with it uh, this week, going, okay, they're raging, but why are they raging? It's, it, they don't answer the question. And we read it, and we read it, and we read it, and they go, oh, it's right here. Verse 3, what do they want? Let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords from us. They feel as though they're being constrained by God through these bonds and through these cords, that they're being constrained by God. But so they're rather being an object of delight, this sovereign God who rules over all and orchestrates all things to happen, rather than being an object of delight and to worship, like you guys beautifully led us in this morning. It's an object of scorn and ridicule. It's oppressive to them. This God. But now, if you are in Christ, if you are in the one who is blessed, this very law which oppressed us, and it either externally it led us to, re, to, to rebellion or internally led us to shame and to guilt, this law that was over us, that we strained under, under condemnation, switched. And now it's an object of delight. So they're rather being the one who rebels against God. Now we see His sovereign hand over all and we delight in His rule and reign over all of nations of all time and even the reign, His reigning in our hearts. And thanks be to God that this, the vileness and the vanity is, is in our own hearts is not this fortress that the grace of God cannot come and assail and conquer. So when that happens, the oppression is gone. 
And he comes alongside of us and he says, no, no, my friend, my yoke is easy. My burden, it is light. And there he is, right beside us. So this grace that has come and it redeems us, this can again, if it's not clear enough for you, it can only come through Christ and through Christ alone. So this beloved Son who inherits every nation by the God who has created all things, This is coming through Christ, which is why we gather and we worship and we sing of, of His delight. And we, that every tribe and tongue and nation that is now rebelling against Him will sing of His glory. Those who do not bow, they will be broken. They will sing of His glory either now or they will sing it later. And in shattering the nations and bringing them into conformity. He has still used this same rod and He has shattered our cold hearts. So we see also in these verses the end game of all, of all God's creation. We will all come. You see it here in verse 12. We will all come and we will kiss the Son. Again, if we do not bow, we will be broken. If we do not confess now, we will confess later that Jesus Christ is Lord. Either we will do it in now, joy now and joy through eternity, or we will do it in dread later. But the appointed King of the eternal God will have His way. And so glorious is this King. Do you see how beautiful He is that we, all of us, in Christ were rebelling against Him, rebelling against the Lord and against His anointed. He's the very one whom we now worship. The object of our hate and our ridicule is now the same. We have the eyes to see the beauty in it and the glory of it all. So then what do we do? In the application of the Psalms here, it's a little bit different. Maybe it's how we should be applying all of Scripture. I don't know. But we're not going to be asking so much, what do we do? That has its place. That certainly does. But we're going to be asking ourselves, how do I adore Christ in a new way? How do I fix my gaze upon Him and delight in His beauty and glory in a way that I have never seen before? How are we seeing Christ in a new way that we have never seen Him before in this text? So first, we, we adore Christ. What do we do? We adore Christ as the anointed Son of God to whom we will pay homage. You want something to do this week? Do that. Adore Christ. Quiet the rebellion in your own heart. Give Him. Pay homage to Him. He is the eternal King. He doesn't want your taxes. He doesn't want your land. He doesn't want your sons to go off in your war. No, He wants you. 
He wants all of your heart to worship Him and to pay homage to Him and to Him alone. Turn to Christ and adore Him. Secondly, it's in our last verse here, end of our last verse here. Behold the beauty of Christ in the one in whom you take refuge. Inevitably, you find yourself disappointed with the world around you. Disappointed in your job, your spouse, disappointed in your children. Run to Christ and take refuge in Him. This is the only thing that God's people have done. I hope you see that. Adam and Eve, what did they do? They're cast from the garden, but they take refuge in Christ, in the Messiah who is to come, the promised seed who is to come. God's people, when they're in Egypt, in slavery, what do they do? They come and they take refuge in Christ, the blood of the Lamb. They take refuge in Him. Psalm 46, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Psalm 59, it says, I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud for your steadfast love in the morning. For you have become to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. So the people of God, when the armies of the Assyrian armies surrounding Jerusalem, what did they do? How were they delivered? By taking refuge in God. When you are drawing your last breath, my friends, listen to this. When you are drawing your last breath, take refuge in Christ. When the revolution of the others is pointed at you, don't be bitter, but take refuge in Christ. With all of your sin, come and take refuge in Christ and He will take you and He will love you as His own. In your sin and your shame, take refuge in Christ. In your joy and your sorrow, take refuge in Christ. In your pride, shed it aside and come and take refuge in Christ that in Him you may be the blessed One who is the blessed Son of God. Let us pray. Let us pray. God, your, your text is so clear that we are to stop the rebellion in our hearts and adore your Son and to take refuge in Him. Move, in your, move your Spirit within our hearts to do this, God. Apart from our, your, the work of Your Spirit in our hearts, we just rebel against You and turn away from You, God, time and time again. But God, let us come to You. Let us take refuge in Your Son that we may be fully known and fully loved. And that can only happen through Your Son. We pray this in His glorious name. Amen.